Saviour's name to our evening gospel service. We're going to turn together to our opening hymn, the hymn 277. On the golden streets of heaven all men hope to walk someday, yet so many are not willing to accept the living way. Let's really sing our very best in this lovely hymn, Standing Together While We Sing, please. Let's all stand while we sing.
let's unite our hearts together in prayer. Let's seek the Lord's face in prayer. Let's settle ourselves in God's presence. And we're going to ask one of our deacons, one of our committee men, our brother, Mr. Victor Gold, if he'll come and lead us to the throne of grace in prayer, please. Let us all unite our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come into thy presence tonight, Lord, we do bow humbly and reverently before thee. Lord, acknowledging, Lord, that thou art the God of heaven. Thou art the one who is upon the throne, and thou art the one who is still in control. And Lord, even tonight, we do thank you, Lord, for all of the many blessings that thou hast been pleased to bestow upon us. We thank you, Lord, for all of the mercies, thy tender mercies, Lord, that do flow from thy bountiful hand. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings even of this day already, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that thou hast given to us. But most of all, Lord, we thank you tonight for the precious blood of Christ. We thank you for thy dear Son, our Lord and our Saviour. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that was accomplished there upon the cross of Calvary. And Father, tonight we do pray that thou would be pleased, Lord, even to come and to be one of our number, even in our gospel service here tonight. Lord, we need thee to come. We need thee, Lord, to work, Lord, in each of our hearts, Lord. We, Father, we pray that thou would be pleased to apply the message, Lord, to each of our hearts. Father, we pray even tonight that thou would be pleased, Lord, even to bless our sister Christine, Lord, as she would come to minister in song. Lord, thou knowest, Lord, even the messages that thou hast laid upon her heart. And, Father, we pray that they will be a blessing to each of us here that are gathered in thy house. And, Lord, very especially we pray for our brother Mervyn as he would come to open up thy precious word tonight. Lord, thou knowest the message that thou hast laid even upon his heart. And, Father, we pray that he would know thy help tonight. Lord, that thou would stand beside him. Lord, that thou would be with him. Lord, that thou would fill him, Lord, with thy Holy Spirit. And, Father, we pray that thou would, just, Lord, give him liberty tonight, Lord, to preach the gospel. Lord, we thank you that we have a gospel message to preach. And, Father, we pray that thou would be pleased, Lord, even to bless our brother tonight. Lord, we would also, Lord, be mindful, Lord, of everywhere, Lord, where thy, uh, Lord even where thy uh, word has gone forth tonight right across our own land, Lord, and right across the world, Lord. Those that are faithful to the blood and to the book, we pray, Father, that they will bless the going forth of the gospel tonight. And, Lord, we would pray that, Lord, there would be much fruit, Lord, even seen even tonight. Father, we pray, Lord, even tonight for those who are in mourning. We thank, Lord, even of the Monteith family there. And, Father, we pray for our dear sister Helen, Lord, and Wesley and the family and the family circle there, that they would comfort and bless them. And, Lord, we thank of the Bevan family, Lord, our brother Dave, that thou would continue to comfort him even in these days. Remember the sick, Lord, too, of our congregation. Lord, thou knowest those, Lord, who need a special touch. We pray, Father, that thou would be pleased, Lord, just to undertake for them. And Lord, we think too of our own pastor over in Romania. Father, we pray that thou would undertake for him and the group that is there. Lord, we pray that, Lord, as they would soon finish their time there in Romania, Lord, that thou would be pleased to bless them and thou would keep thy hand upon them. Lord, even as they would travel back home here, even to Ballymoney. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for all that they have done there in Romania, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the great news we've heard of souls in the past that have come to Christ. And Father, we just pray that they will continue to bless, Lord, even the works there in Romania. So, Lord, we just pray that tonight they would come. Lord, they would minister to each of our hearts. Lord, that they would be pleased even to bless us and do us good in thy house tonight. For in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you, Victor, for leading us to the throne of grace in prayer. The hymn number 339, a couple of verses of this lovely hymn. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget, after I'd wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. We'll stand together while we sing this hymn, please.
Hold on, hold on. We weren't going to sing that hymn, but we will that verse now, but we'll sing it. So now I have a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. welcome in the Savior's name to our evening gospel service. We trust and pray that the Lord will bless you as you've come to worship with us tonight here at Hebron. Thank you for coming. It's always an encouragement to the preacher when people turn up, and we do thank you sincerely. And for those who are visiting with us, and there is a few visitors with us, thank you for coming, and we trust and pray that the Lord will bless you. And also to those who are joining us via Sermon Audio on Facebook and YouTube, Welcome in the Savior's name from wherever you are, and we trust and pray that this service will be a blessing to you, and that above all, if you know not Christ, that this will be the night of your salvation. Refreshments will be served after the service, so if you can stay, please join us in the fellowship area here, and a time of fellowship together around a cup of tea. Then tomorrow, do remember again the recommencement of the Hebron Tots. The mother and Tots will meet and recommence tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. through to 12. Now, in relation to this, if any of the able-bodied men would be able to help tonight, and that is just to put away the chairs in the church hall so that all the other bits and pieces that they need to put out can be done and done without having the chairs in the road. So even after the service tonight, if uh, those men folk could maybe attend to that, that would be very much appreciated. Do remember this work as it recommences tomorrow. Do remember the trip of those who went to Romania, Rome Pastor and the Reverend Gray and a few others from our congregation, and they will return home in the will of the Lord. I got a, a text from the Reverend Park today just to say that at the Gypsy Church this morning that they were ministering after the Reverend Park preached, the pastor gave a call, and one or two came forward for salvation and a few for rededication, and others had health issues and desired for prayer. So, the Lord's been good, and this has been a time of blessing again, even as they have been in the land of Romania. Pray that the Lord will bring them home in safety uh, to their families. Tuesday night is the Youth Challenge at 7 p.m., and we'll just make the announcement again, just in case nobody did respond this morning. Our brother Andrew is looking for uh, two more bus conductors I said this morning, if you ever wanted to be a bus conductor, now is your opportunity. And if you can help on Tuesday night at the Youth Challenge, one male, one female would be very much appreciated. Or indeed, any other workers to come and to help in regards to the meetings on Tuesday night. We appreciate all the work that our workers do. And there's been an increase in the numbers. So with an increase in the numbers, there's always a need for additional workers. So if you can help in any way, but particularly in relation to the issue of the bus, then see our brother Andrew, and he'll be very much appreciative of that. Then on Wednesday night, a meeting of our committee, the session committee will meet at 8 p.m. Thursday night's our midweek service at 8 p.m. The Reverend Park, Lord Willing, will give a report along, I would say, with others who have been there on the trip to Romania. Friday night, our youth fellowship are going to Antrim to the youth council, the evening of prayer. The bus will leave at 10 past 7. Young people, remember that Friday evening at 10 past 7. 
And the service is here in Hebron. Next Lord's Day, the early morning prayer meeting at 8 a.m. Sunday school at 10.30. Then we have the Bible class at 10.45 when we will continue the series Lessons from Leviticus and we'll deal with the peace offering, Christ's sacrifice, and it was fruitful. Morning service, Reverend Park wants to bring this particular message, one, bring one. And it's to re-encourage us to evangelize and to reach out and in the light of our uh, family night services that we have here each week or each month, then this is an encouragement for you to become engaged in reaching out to bring others under the sound of the gospel. The evening gospel service is at 7 p.m., preceded by the time of prayer when, God willing, Reverend Park will minister God's Word. Our next family night will be on Sunday the 5th of March when we trust and pray that we'll have along with us retired Major David Johnston. He served over 40 years as a reserve officer in the Royal Irish Rangers, now the RIR, and he'll be along. He was with us at our remembrance service, and he's coming back again in March to really give a, a fuller version of the testimony that he gave on that occasion. Continue to remember those that need our particular prayers. Do you remember the Monteith family? They mentioned all the members of the family this morning. I especially remember Helen and Wesley here as Helen's mum has been called home to be with the Savior. Remember the family tomorrow in particular and especially our brother Ernie Monteith as he lays the earthly remains of his beloved wife uh, following the service there in Oma at 1.30. And trust and pray that you remember the family. Continue to remember our brother Dave. It's good to have him with us tonight. And we pray that you'll continue to remember the Bevan family. And at this time, they'll continue to prove the sufficiency of God's grace. And all the other needs in our congregation. There are many needs and they're varied. And praise God, we know the one who's able to meet all our needs, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us. This stage in our service, we're going to ask my wife Christine to come and to minister in song, please.
for ministering to us in song. It's a great assurance for the child of God that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But tonight in this service, if you die without Christ, you'll be separated from God from all eternity. What an awful thing that you would be separated in a lost eternity from a loving God. Returning tonight in the Word of God to Luke's Gospel and to chapter 8, Luke's Gospel, and the chapter 8. I'm just going to read a few verses together in this familiar portion of the Word of God. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, and we'll commence to read, break into the narrative at the verse 22. <clears throat> now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with the water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him, and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? They, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. Amen. And we know that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word to all of our hearts. Just let's stand to our feet as we have a word of prayer. Let's all stand, please. So we pray. Loving Father, we thank Thee for the reading of Thy Word. We thank Thee that we have in our hand the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And we pray, our loving Father, that Thou wilt now take these stammering lips of man. By the power of Thy Spirit, we pray that 
There will be the going forth of the Word of God in power. We are trusting Thee for power, for Thine can never fail. Words that Thou Thyself must give us, they must, and praise God, they shall prevail. Come prevailing and powerful words in the Savior's name, we ask these things. Amen. It has been rightly said that without questions, there is no learning. We ask questions every day. It's estimated that a teacher asks something around 300 or more questions each day. And probably children ask twice as many. Doctors, nurses, lawyers, police officers, and many other professionals, and indeed as all, ask hundreds of questions during the course of our working day and night. There are many different types of questions. There are closed questions, a yes or a no answer. There are open questions. There are leading questions. There are confusing questions. I read a couple of them just this week. Something that really confused me was, if money doesn't grow on trees, why do banks have branches? Or, do fish ever get thirsty? Did you ever think about that? Now, those are confusing questions, and there are many others. I read another one which I thought was, was a bit funny. Why does glue not stick to the inside of the bottle? I there's a confusing question. And there are many other types of, con- of questions, such as rhetorical questions, probing questions, and we could go on. But tonight I want to look at a challenging question. And the question that was asked by the most important individual that you and I could ever have an encounter with, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior during His public ministry when He was here on earth was ever asking questions to those that He met. He used the form of asking questions so that He might draw out of His hearers something of a response or bring them to a place where they would have an understanding of what it was He was saying. Did the New Testament is populated with dozens of questions that the Savior asked, but I just want us to look very briefly at a few that we find here before we come to the question that we want to really concentrate upon in Luke's Gospel. If you turn to Luke's Gospel in the chapter 2, you'll find that the Savior, when He was only 12 years of age, He had a question for, for Mary and Joseph. It was that occasion when they had gone back into Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover, and the Savior was 12 years of age. And in verse 49, He says to Mary and Joseph, He'd been separated from them, and they come back looking for him. And he asked the question, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? He asked that question to Mary and Joseph. He was bringing them to realize that there was something that he was to do. There was something that he was to engage in, and it was to be about the father's business. Go over to Luke chapter 5 and the verse 22. And the Savior has a question for the old scribes and Pharisees. And when the Savior has these people before Him, we read there in Luke's gospel chapter 5 and the verse 22, what reason ye in your hearts? Or we could put it another way, why are you thinking these things? He was able to bring a question directly to these Pharisees so that they would be challenged in terms of what it was they had been saying. And what of that question that the Savior gives in the next chapter, in chapter 6 of the Luke's account, and the verse 46, to the multitude? The Savior says in Luke chapter 6 and the verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord? And do not the things which I say. Questions. 
questions that the Savior penned. And we read tonight a portion of Luke's gospel and the chapter 8, and there are a number of other questions that are in this chapter. For example, go down to verse 45 of Luke chapter 8. And there we have a question of compassion. The Savior asked this question to the multitude, but He was particularly wanting to pick out one individual. That individual was a woman with the issue of blood. And in verse 45 of Luke 8, He says, Who touched me? He was wanting in compassion to draw out this individual who had come with his burden upon her life and upon her heart. And the Savior in compassion asked the question, Who touched me? Then go up to verse 30. And we see a question of command. The Savior says to the demons that have possessed the demoniac of Gadara, What is thy name? That was a command. That was a command of the Savior to this legion that had possessed this individual, and with authority and power, the Savior asked the question to the legion, what is thy name? But in verse 25 of Luke chapter 8, there's a question of great challenge that was asked to the disciples. And I want us to look at that question tonight, and I want each one of us the preacher in the pulpit and each one in the pew tonight to answer before God honestly this question. And it's summed up in the words of verse 25. Where is your faith? Now, that's a question that's not for the person beside you. That's a question that's not for the person in front of you. That's a question that's not for a person behind you, but that's a personal question for each one of us tonight both the preacher and the pulpit and each one of us that we are here in the house of God this evening, where is your faith? And my prayer is that before God we would honestly answer that question tonight, before we leave this church, that we would be able to say, we would be able to resolve, we would be able to repeat, and we would be able to say to every, any individual without a shadow of a doubt where your faith is. So tonight I want us to Think upon the Savior's searching question. Notice, first of all, with us the faith that was formed in these disciples. You see, it's clear from the question that the Savior asked to His disciples that He recognized that there is such a thing as faith. He recognized that faith is real. He recognized that there is such a thing as possessing faith. It's possible to have whatever this faith is because He comes and He says to His disciples, He says, where is your faith? Now, the Savior wouldn't be asking the disciples something if it didn't exist. He wouldn't be posing this question on this occasion to these disciples if it was some figment of the imagination. Oh, there are many tonight, and they will tell you, you know what those people preach in Hebron and other places where the gospels proclaim? Really not that. A lot of nonsense. Really not that important. You don't really pay any attention to it. It's not something that you'll have to really have to deal with. There's no such a thing. And just live your life as you please. But here the Savior comes, and He says to His disciples, and He, he pinpoints them very clearly and very plainly, where is your faith? Is it something real? It's something that we can have. It's something that we can possess. And you see, that, that begs the question. And it's this question, a further question, and it's this, it is the need for faith. You see, if the Savior asked this question, then there surely must be a need to have faith. But there's a problem. And the problem's this, over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and the verse 2, the apostle Paul says, all men have not faith. Now, did, did you get that? This is something that we're not born with. This is something that divides society. This is something that divides this congregation. This is something that divides this town. This is something that divides this country. This is something that divides this nation in that not all men have faith. 
Not every person possesses what it was the Savior was here speaking about. And he says to these disciples, where is your faith? But Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 2, all men have not faith. You see, by nature we do not have this faith. This is something that we're not born with. Rather, it's contrary to the ways of God because we're born in unbelief. We're born in unbelief. We're not born with faith. We're born with a disposition that doesn't believe in God. The opposite to faith is unbelief. One commentator said, surely Scripture is right when it makes the sin of sins that of unbelief. Now, you might say to me tonight, but, but I do believe, and I do have faith. And you could rattle off to me a dozen things that you have faith in, and that might be the church. And that might be the sacraments, that might be religious ritual, that might be coming to this congregation, that might be being a free Presbyterian. But let me tell you, none of those things are saving faith, as we'll see in a moment. None of those things are what the Savior was speaking about when He asked His disciples, where is your faith? You see, there's a need for faith. When the Savior spoke of the work of the Holy Ghost and His coming into the world, He said that he would reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And in John 16, verse 9, the Savior said this, and of sin because they believe not on me. Is that a description of you tonight? Well, you believe in your head. You'll give a mental assent in your head that there was a person called Jesus Christ. You'll give a mental assent in your head that there was one who came into this world, and you will be able to recite all the facts concerning the Savior and His ministry and the labors and all the things that He'd done, but you have never appropriated that into your heart. You've never trusted Christ personally and received Him as your own and personal Savior. There's the need for faith, but then something else, there's the nature of faith. What is this faith that we're speaking about? Thomas Watson, the great Puritan preacher, said, faith is seated in the understanding as well as the will. It has an eye to Christ as well as a wing to fly to Christ. Faith, though it hath sometimes a trembling hand, it must not have a withered hand, but stretch out. You see, tonight, here's, here's, here's the, the nub of this issue. It's the object of our faith that is all important. It's not the size of our faith. It's not the quantity, in a sense, of our faith. But it's who our faith is in. You see, if your faith tonight is not in Christ, then it's not a saving faith. It's not a faith that you can rest your head upon the pillow tonight with all confidence and go to sleep without any shadow of a doubt that if you don't wake in the morning, you'll be all right. Now, these disciples had saving faith. You see, the Savior said, where is your faith? These were His disciples, these individuals that were with the Savior here in the boat. They were His disciples. They were those that He had called just a, previous, a number of chapters before in chapter 6. He had called them. And we haven't time to look at all their conversions, but just let's look at one of them. Turn back to chapter 5 of Luke's gospel. We'll try and stay in Luke's gospel so it's, it's handy and convenient. Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, and verse 27, we read about the conversion of one of these disciples, one of the individuals who was in this boat, one of the individuals that Christ said to them, where is your faith? And in verse 27, the Savior, or we read there, and after these things, He went forth and saw a publican named Levi, or Matthew, sitting at the receipt of custom, and He said unto him, follow me. And He left all, and rose up, and followed him. 
And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, we're getting now to what is the nature of this faith. It is when by grace we are called and we are brought to recognize that we are sinners and we need to repent of that sin and place our faith and trust in Christ. Because notice what the Savior said to Matthew. He said to this public and he said to this tax collector, he said to this individual, follow me, place your faith and trust in me, have me as the object of your faith. Don't follow the church, don't follow religion, don't follow ritual, but oh, have your faith in me, follow me. And the Savior says, I came to call the righteous. No, he didn't say that. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so by that, we are brought to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And the question then tonight is this, have you had that saving faith? Have you that saving faith tonight? We see here, the faith that was formed in these disciples. But then I want us in the second place to notice their faith, these disciples, and the fear that was displayed by these disciples. You see, it's so true that when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior, it's not all a bed of roses. It's not all honey without bees. There are difficulties, there are troubles, there are trials, and our faith is tested. There are times when we're asked to go through the fire, and there are those in this congregation tonight who can bear testimony to circumstances that have been brought into their lives, and they can easily identify with these disciples in this little vessel in the Sea of Galilee. They were in the midst of the storm. And you see, the circumstances that they faced in this storm. Now, this storm, notice what we read in the verse. Twenty-three. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And I never noticed this until we read it here before the service tonight. And it says, and notice how it's, how it's put, and there came down a storm. This was no ordinary storm. This was no sort of light wind. This was a, a very ferocious storm that came down. There came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water. The vessel that they were in was now taking water, and they were in jeopardy. They were in trouble. This storm was unpredictable. This storm was unpreventable. This storm was unmistakable. And they were in the midst of the storm. And if you haven't been in the midst of the storm recently, let me tell you, it won't be long until the storm will come. And it can be the storm of adversity. It can be the storm of trouble. It'll be the, the storm of trial. They come in many shapes and forms, and it'll come down. It'll come down upon you individually. It'll come down upon us collectively. It'll come down upon us as a family. It'll come down upon us as a fellowship. There are storms that come in life. And in the midst of that, the Savior says, where's your faith? Where's your anchor when the storm comes? Who do you depend on when the storm comes? Who do you turn to when the storm comes? And you see the awful tragedy 
And we say this, but you know, we would have been no better than these disciples, so let's not think that somehow we have some spiritual superiority over these disciples. When this storm came, if we had been in their condition, we would have done exactly the same. They were afraid. Many years ago, I went to holiday in in Port of Ferry many years ago. I was still probably at secondary school at the time, so it's many, many years ago. And we were, we had went to the Portofoge church, and of course, you know, Portofoge, they have a lot of fishermen in the congregation. We had one not that long ago, he came to give his testimony. And one of the men in the congregation was going out at 12 o'clock on a Sunday night to fish just off the Isle of Man, and he said, do you want to come? And of course, foolishly, naively, and stupidly, I said yes. And we headed out, and I have to say, I have never, ever been as afraid. We weren't far off. We went out on the, at the 12 o'clock on a Sunday night. We traveled for a good number of miles until we were well off the Isle of Man, and then a storm of force eight hit. And I can tell you, I was green. Probably the first time ever in my life I was green. I was green. And it was awful. And it was terrible. And it was something that I never want to experience again. And I was never as glad to see the harbor in Port of Oge. So we're not being critical of these disciples here when they were saying that they were afraid. They were in jeopardy. And you see the circumstances they faced in the storm, but then notice the confiding they failed to have in the Savior. Because what they overlooked and what they forgot about was He had given a promise. He had given a promise, and the promise is found there in verse 22. And it came to pass on a certain day that He went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over onto the other side of the lake. This was the omnipotent, this was the omniscient, this was the all-powerful Savior, this was the one whose word stood fast, this was the one who never spoke a lie, this was the, word, the one whose word could be depended upon, and he says, Let us go over to the other side. He had given a promise. He had given a promise that they would go to the other side, but these disciples in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the trial, they failed to have their confidence in the promise that the Savior gave, and they also failed to have the promise in the presence of the Savior that was with them. Because verse 22 also says, now it came to pass on a certain day that He went into the ship with His disciples. Oh, there was another occasion when he had went up into the mountain, and he had left his disciples, and they went across the Sea of Galilee, and there was a storm. But on this occasion, the Savior was with them. And these disciples, they failed to recognize the promise of Christ. They failed to recognize the presence of Christ. And in the midst of all of that, they're fearful. And the Savior says to them, where is your fear? I wonder, do we recognize every day the presence of Christ with us in the midst of our storms? But then let us in the third place notice the faith that was fostered in these disciples. Because they come to the Savior in verse 24, and they awake the Master, and they say to Him, Master, Master, we perish, and He arose. And what did the Savior do? Well, the first thing was peace was restored. And He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. It's not always God's will that every storm is calmed. It's not always God's will that every circumstance is changed. Sometimes He allows us to go through those valleys so that He would test us, so that He would try us. But on this occasion, the Master intervenes and peace is restored. His power is revealed because these disciples then say, what manner of man is this? 
for he commandeth the winds and the water, and they obey him. You know, best of all, his promise was realized, because notice what it says in verse 26. I love these three little words, and they If you can lay hold upon the promise of Christ that we're going to the other side, you can be absolutely sure that you'll arrive. Now, I remember the night that we came to trust the Savior out in that gospel mission out in Bushside, those many, many years ago. Dr. Kearns turned to that little verse that he had turned to with so many down through the years, John 6 and 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Listen, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And if you come tonight and you trust Christ, you can be absolutely sure, just as sure as you're in this service, that you will be with Christ in glory. Not because of something that you have done, not because of any merit that you have, but because of the promise that is given to Christ and because your faith is in Him. He's the object of your faith. He's the one that you depend upon. And just as these disciples had failed to apprehend and failed to grasp the glory and the wonder of His presence and the wonder of His promise, yet despite all of that, His promise was still true. His presence was still real. And they reached the other side. Therefore, where is your faith tonight? I'm not asking you what your religion is. I'm not asking you what your status in society is. I'm asking you, where is your faith? If you're in the service unsaved, your faith is still in your own efforts, in yourself, in your own merit, in your own goodness, in your own works. If you're a child of God, oh, I trust that tonight you'll, you'll come to a place where you'll realize that Christ is all in all, that you'll look to Him in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of the trials. Because finally, there's something else I want to conclude with. There's a faith that is false that is to be discarded. In this eighth chapter of Luke's gospel, the Savior told a parable about, and just in the preceding verses to what we read, you read there from, really from verse 5 on down to verse 18, the Savior tells the story of the sower the seed and the soil. It's a story that we've all heard as boys and girls in the Sunday school in the children's meetings. It's the story about the man who went out to sow and some fell upon good ground and there was the roadside soil and some fell upon hard ground, the rocky soil, and some fell upon ground that had thorns. It was the ruined soil and then there was the receptive soil because some fell upon good ground. Notice what it says in verse 13. And they in the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in the time of temptation, in the time of the storm, in the time of the trouble, in the time of the trial, they fall away. Now, they never had saving faith in the first place because. The key is in those little three words in verse 13, have no root. Now, that's the heart of it. There was nothing wrong with the seed because the Savior said that the seed was the Word of God, and the Word of God is pure, and the Word of God is holy, the Word of God is true, but the problem lay in the soil, the problem lay in the heart, and that's the heart of the problem. The problem is the heart. And tonight, as we close this gospel service, I want you to, before God, be honest, not only before your own heart, but before the God of heaven. If your faith is in anything else other than in Christ, it has no root. And when the troubles come, and when the trials come, you've no place to go. Oh, you might be able to turn to the beggarly elements of this world and turn to the alcohol and turn to the drugs and turn to so many other things. But oh, at night when you close your eyes in your bed and you're in the darkness of your own room, there's no abiding place of safety 
because you have no root. There's nothing that's depending upon Christ. You're not able to say, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. As we conclude, we ask the question, where is your faith? The Apostle Paul said in Hebrews chapter 11 and the verse 6, without faith, listen, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. I want you to answer that question tonight. Where is your faith? Let's pray. Loving Father, we pray that thou will take that which has been of thyself and apply it effectively to every heart. We pray that thou wilt search all our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting thee and claiming thy promises and appreciating thy presence when we're in the midst of the storm. There are some in this service tonight and they've no saving faith in Christ. They haven't Christ in the vessel. They can't smile at the storm as we go sailing home. Speak on, we pray. In the Savior's name we ask these things. Amen. We're going to conclude singing a couple of verses of that hymn, the hymn 312, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Now, can you really sing that tonight? Can you really sing from the depth of your heart as we close the service, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place, Not in Device Nor Creed, I Trust the Ever-Living One, His Wounds for Me Shall Bleed. And the chorus says, I need no other argument I want no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Let's think upon these words. We'll just remain seated thinking about, about these words as we close, please. Father, dismiss us in thy fear. And Lord, we pray that you will dismiss us in thy fear. We pray that the dear unsaved will be fearful because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We pray tonight that some dear precious soul will be able to say, I need no other argument. I want no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Separate us. Receive of our thanks for the good things provided. We pray and ask these things in the Savior's name. Amen. I want to just say as we close, we're here as your servants for Christ. Preacher, you need.
with the Savior. There's a storm out there tonight physically. There's a bigger storm tonight that you might have to face. Come to Christ. Trust Him. Where is your faith?